0: Hi, man.
1: Logos man logo centrifugal podcast i'm chance lunsford i am also Logos and centrifugal i'll let you puzzle that out in your own time i'm here with my special guest jeff putnam jeff i met through twitter he's a dude with a lot of irons in the fire and he's been kicking some serious ass jeff why don't you tell him a little bit about yourself man
2: hey man i uh, appreciate you having me on um Just a really short guy from South Carolina, small town, (laughs) Uh, you know, born and bred down here in the South, moved around a little bit, big family, I've got nine kids, one woman though is really glad it's not the other way around, I don't have that much energy, (laughs) I am the uh, owner and creator of Rugged Legacy. Men's grooming supply company, and as you said, I've got a lot of irons in the fire, trying to get as big as I can and build an empire.
1: So there's a lot to your story, and I have a little bit of pre-knowledge, just kind of knowing you, but um, you have this company, and it's kind of in a very specific niche, and it's also um, the way that you're doing it. It hasn't necessarily been been done like that that I know of before where a men's uh, grooming company has has really gotten a lot of attention and emphasis from social media like this Twitter specifically so uh, could you tell me a little bit about how you you kind of came into this particular industry and why and maybe also why you decided to engage in the kind of marketing and, and networking that you have well <clears throat> As you can obviously see, I
2: have a lot of beard going on, <laughs> but uh, it, it it really stemmed from I could never find any product that was good enough that didn't smell like flowers and women. <laughs> so I was you know, figure out how to make something that I can use just for myself. And as it became apparent that it was really good. Uh, And more people going, Hey man, where, what are you buying? Where are you getting your stuff? I I just make it for me. I got the idea. You know, I can just sell it. You know, I shouldn't be the only one to reap these benefits because I know I'm not the only bearded guy out there. Also, I had zero desire to kind of hide behind a company. Uh, You know, I grew up in a small town where every business I was talking with Hunter Drew about this yesterday where every business on the street was a small mom and pop business. And everybody knew the owners, everybody engaged with the, owners. you could run a tab with these people, you know, and business is really more about relationships than it is anything else. And I love being able to have relationships and friendships with my customers. And I, I'm, my DMs are always open. I'll reply to every email I ever get sent for as long as I can. But, uh, you know, I think it's kind of a, a, lost, a lost art in a way where businesses are no longer really concerned about their customers or their customers' lives. But how am I going to be able to say, hey, you need this product or this product will benefit you if I don't know the first thing about you? You know, I can't be sincere in me trying to give you something if I don't know anything about your hardships or even your victories. Hmm. So I love being able to engage my customers and be more personable with them.
1: That's cool. Um, I like that philosophy that you, that you carry with you from your upbringing. You know, there's, there's a thing that happens where during adolescence and early adulthood, a lot of us feel like we need to walk away from our roots or like to get away from them at least, you know, and, and you go out into the world and the, the Amish do this with like rumspringa where it's just like, yeah, go out and see the world. And if you want to come back, you're in. But if you don't, you don't. It and is what it is. But we kind of all need to go through that. But I love that you're on the other side of a lot of things in your life. And one of the things that you've taken with you from your roots and your upbringing is the fact that you want to have a relationship. You want to know somebody, you want to open up your heart and your life to the people that you're interacting with. And I think that when a business loses that, it's very unfortunate because that heart and that, and that connection is what people are really looking for when they buy into a brand. You know, like if, if I'm buying into rugged legacy, like I bought one of your products and the reason I bought it was not like, I don't, I haven't worn cologne. Like I told you in the message group in like 10 years, I bought it cause I like you and I support what you're doing and you don't get those kind of connections. Like I'm not going out and buying whatever fashion designer's, <clears throat> monstrosity that they've put out there or whatever, you know, like I, I supported you cause I like you and, and not only that, but you know, like I just, I just think it's, well, I, I just think it's cool that you've carried that with you and that that's important to you because it's something that's important to me. I like, I like relationships and family and, and having connections with people. So I, I guess uh, I get kind of rambled on there about agreeing with you there, <laughs> <laughs> but why don't, you, why don't you walk me through um, you have the idea to have your company to you, you're selling stuff officially as I have a company.
2: All right. Well, it happened
1: really fast.
2: Um, like everybody, I-, I spent years going, man, it'd be great to just quit my job and work for myself and screw the man. I'm going to do it on my own time. It, you know, everybody has that fantasy of being their own boss, but you know, like everybody else, I had a, uh, a hangup of one. Well, I don't really know how to do anything. <laughs> or at, the, at least, I, at least I didn't think I knew how to do anything. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it was that whole self-limiting mindset. Cause I got the idea to start uh, rugged legacy in January. Mm. and a guy I went to high school with is living the dream right now. He's living in Europe and uh, he's working from his laptop as a graphic designer. Mm. He sold his house, his car, his furniture, took his wife, his son, and his dog and moved to Europe and just goes wherever he wants. And I was like, well, I know a graphic designer and he's the best one because he's the only well, I know. <laughs> so <laughs> so I, I reached out to him and said, Hey, you know, thinking about starting a company. What do I got to do to get some branding started? So we hooked up, we worked together probably for about six weeks from the beginning of January when I first gotten the idea that, you know, if I fail, I fail. The worst that can happen is it doesn't work out, but I've still got a good job. So, I've got a safety net. My mm. family is not going to suffer for it. So I've really got nothing to lose. So, you know, six weeks go by back and forth emails. He's sending me mockups. I'm replying with feedback. And during this whole time, I'm going to wholesalers and finding ingredients on how to make beard balms and how to make, cause I'm, you know, I was only making one or two items just for myself, but I wanted a line of products. Hmm. so i was you know googling different recipes and buying all these different ingredients because i wanted everything to be all natural um you never know what you're going to get especially with like you know deodorants have aluminum in them people are getting cancer and things like that i wanted something that was going to be all natural so i was experimenting with as many ingredients as i could getting feedback from coworkers, and Finally, once I got my logos and my brand all set up, I started making payments for the LLC license and everything else. And it just kind of fell into place when uh, I joined on Twitter and started reaching out to as many people as I could. Why Twitter? I don't know. It seemed like the best way to have a direct link with as many strangers as possible. Mm. I mean, I've seen people, you know, tweet out to the rock and get a reply back. Cause it's that direct
1: line. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, screw it. I'll do that. Hmm. So now you've got this brand and it's live. It's shipping. It has been for a while now. Um, you've, you've kind of, you've had all this momentum rolling on Twitter. I mean, your account has exploded. You've connected with a bunch of people who are very influential on the platform and especially in the corner where people actually buy stuff on Twitter. There's an interesting little segment where, you know, like people do things instead of just shit post and shit talk. So, (laughs) (laughs) so now, now you, now it's up and rolling And what, what are the plans? Like, you know, take me through the rest of this year and in the next couple of years, what do, what do you hope it becomes and where do you hope to take it?
2: All right. Well, rest of this year, I'm looking to roll out a few more products. Uh, I got a really big request for shave butter for, you know, I guess the guys who can't grow beards because of uh, their careers. I was going to talk a lot of crap about them, but I'm not going to do it. Bad beard. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know the guys who can't grow beards because they just don't have the genetics for it, or you know their careers won't allow it. So I got to reach out to those guys too. So shave butter, maybe going to be some beard oils, uh, beard shampoo, beard conditioner. I might even throw in a lip balm. I don't know yet, but uh, that's probably going to be all. Slowly rolling out this year. Uh, the five-year goal is to have my products on Target shelves. Because, you know, if
1: you have something at Target, that means you've made it. Because so, Targets are everywhere and girls shop there, so they'll just buy it for their husbands. Well, yeah. And, you know, I, I I poach customers at Target. because My wife is
2: one of those Target girls. So I'll go to Target and I'll see a bunch of guys in the men's grooming section. Nah, you don't want that. I got here. Go to this website.
1: i like that you're just brazen about it huh just like hey man this is my deal just skip that mine's better go do it yeah i mean
0: the worst i can say is no
1: yeah plus those face-to-face encounters with somebody you know like hey i have a business people people perk up their ears in real life a lot more than they do on the internet it seems to be the case to me because you know everybody on the internet says they have a business And maybe like 10% of them do. And then maybe like 10% of those guys have a business. The rest of the guys just like, yeah. Like I could say I have a business on the internet because I've made about a thousand dollars from Twitter. (laughs) 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 But I don't say that because uh, I really don't have a business site, (laughs) but Hey, maybe if I was younger, I I would, uh, well, that's what it is. Yeah. I do have some of that. All right man so we've got we've got some good foundation here with the rugged legacy let's let's dive into the man behind it a little bit what uh let's see take us take us back to getting out of high school and how you're looking at the world and what you're doing.
2: oh man, you know, like I said, I grew up in a really small town in south carolina population of about six hundred people. <laughs> That's small. Yeah. One main street where like at, at the beginning of the street, you it, the town represented life actually. Down at the end of the street on the main drag, you had the elementary school. On the other end of the main drag, you had the high school and just past that, you had a funeral home. <laughs> just past <laughs> that, you had a cemetery. So you started on one end and made your way to the other. Nice. <laughs> but man, I had every single dream of trying to get out and go to the big, and see the world, you know, this whole uh, reverse footloose thing, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, you know, I I did travel a little bit. I did see a lot of places. Uh, I always ended up being drawn back home, you know, back to my roots. Yeah, I met my wife here. Uh, we moved out west and had a lot of fun out there, but still kept being pulled back home. You know, there's really no place like it. I like, you know, people waving at me when I drive past them on their lawnmowers. <laughs> you know, small town, everybody, you know, knows everybody feel. But I mean, my whole idea of the world was I'm going to go into this big high-rise apartment in New York City and be a big shot, and then I'm like, man, I really don't want any of that. You know, (laughs) I like going back to, you know, fishing and lakes and trees and open spaces where my neighbors are still a few miles apart. Yeah, my view of the world was just—it's going to be one big adventure, but I can have just as big of an adventure, you know, from a home
1: base. Absolutely. Um, when I was a kid, my dad, um, used to he would kind of use it as a threat, but he was more just serious and didn't think he could get away with it. But he'd say, you know, we're going to move to Montana. Or we're going to move into the wilderness, you know? And I'd say, no, no, no. And I, I mean, I liked the wilderness. I hunted as a kid and, and hiked and everything. And then I got older and he would say, there's too many people. There's too many people. There's too many people. And I said, what are you talking about? I love people. And then as I got older, you, you realize like, oh, yeah, it's it's nice to have some space. It's nice to have some breathing room. It's nice to have – when you go into a, a city with, say, a lot of traffic and a lot of people and a lot of action going on, I mean, there's a certain exhilaration that comes with that, but it's also like I have 10,000 people in front of me in my way trying – and they're just like naturally there blocking me from where I want to go, and I have to be patient with them, and I have to fall in line, and I have to just <laughs> – You know, like I have to follow all these rules, even just to be in this place that's so full of everything. And most of the stuff here, I don't want anything to do with. And then you start to see like, oh, yeah, you know, there are too many people here. There is too much traffic. I do want to move to the wilderness. And so, yeah, it's funny how that goes. But then there's the people who love the city. And I've never been able to understand that. But I guess to each their own on that one, huh? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, uh, you know, just
2: your, your own preferences. Some people thrive on that hustle and bustle of the you know the rapid pulse of a city. I thought I would, but, man, to me, like, there's too much traffic when there's eight cars in front of me, <laughs> you know, on yes. a two-lane road. Yeah. I'm like, oh, you guys just need to get out of the way. I'm getting road rage walking behind (laughs) you know yeah I do (laughs) yeah yeah, I'm just I need that open space man (laughs) so so the city was definitely not for me it's fun to visit and it's got a nice cool vibe but man when I can drive for 75 miles and see nothing but trees that's where I belong man
1: yeah yeah yeah, you know, I have a very special connection with the wilderness in my adult life. It's been a very it's been a very therapeutic and adventurous place and there's a lot of a lot of my fondest memories are captured in the mountains around my home, so I definitely understand that sentiment. Um So I know you've you've had some some hard stuff in your life, man. Yeah. And, I've had some hard stuff in my life and I understand that those the more difficult, the thing, the the more it shapes you, especially if you emerge on the other side of some hardship, you, you just like you are strong and you know, you're strong and, and you can express that. And it's, uh, it's one of those things that I'm grateful to have now, but you know, I wouldn't want to walk through the fire repeatedly because it takes a lot <laughs> of you, it takes to asks a lot of you. So, um, you know, you know the story I'm thinking of here. I just wonder maybe you could walk us through walk us through that and how like, what led up to it, how you dealt with it, and, and what you feel like you gained on the other side. I'm assuming you're
2: talking about my old transition from six years ago. Yep. All right. Well, getting to that point was a transition in and of itself. Uh, I had a really great job making a whole lot of money. I was a project superintendent for a commercial construction, uh, general contractor. And we traveled all around Texas, New Mexico, Arizona. Uh, we remodeled grocery stores and it was a really well-paying job, but the only downside was I was always on the road. You know, I had nine different projects going in Arizona with three in Texas and four in New Mexico. And they're all scattered out. I mean, you live in the West. You know how scattered out the towns are. Yeah. And so I was only getting to go home and see my wife and my kids for two days every two weeks. Hmm. And my wife was pregnant. It had a uh, big strain placed on her, so I had to leave the job, man, it was just one of those things, there's, I mean, I was putting her through way too much, we had, you know, we had suffered miscarriages in the past, and I definitely didn't want to go through that again, yeah, so I left the job, took a huge pay cut, but I got to be home, and I figured, you know, I can find another job here somewhere, but the only jobs I could get a hold of were small time, you know, grocery store jobs or retail jobs. They just weren't paying the bills. So there was like a steady decline where certain things were starting to get repoed. (laughs) More and more bills were getting further and further behind until it ended up where we were going to lose the place we were living. We had already lost a car. So my wife talked to her sister and we ended up, moving all of us into my wife's sister's house when we were all crammed into one bedroom, which was such an awesome accomplishment as a man, you know, (laughs) looking at his family going, yeah, I failed. All of you I had to move in with family now, but even worse, that feeling of self pity kind of just weighed on me to the point where I shut down and I went into super stagnation mode. And I didn't do squat. Like, I stared at Xbox and TV all day. I wasn't contributing anything. I still expected, of course, for myself to be viewed as the leader of my family, but I wasn't <laughs> doing squat worth being considered that for. You know, I, was, I was a piece of crap. But, and, you know, and it was just one of those wallowing in self pity things. That lasted for a, a shorter period of time. I want to say six to eight months. And you know, the arguments with my wife were increasing. Man, We'd already had our daughter and uh my wife was pregnant again. Yeah. That's a great idea. You know, get pregnant again when we're already over packed into a you know, sardine can. Yeah. Perfect job. But, uh, daily arguments with the wife. It was getting just too much. And finally my wife and I sat down and we had a couple of conversations where she's like, look, I can't do this anymore. You know, she was throwing around the D word and she had every right to. And I was like, yeah, you're right. You know, I said, well, what if I just go out on a little last hurrah? You know, scraped up the last bit of cash we had, which is about $800. Well, I mean, that's less than I'm making a week now. But uh, I said, all right, I'll tell you what. Let's find a flight. I'll fly back out to South Carolina. You stay here with your sister. I'll try to make something happen. So $400 for the flight. So that left me with 400 to live on for an indeterminate amount of time hopped on the plane tearful goodbye at the airport my wife you know I think she was about five months pregnant at that point Hmm. so I shot back out here saw my family for the first time in about eight years
0: Hmm.
2: just couldn't say bring myself say I'm going to stay with you guys you know still a little prideful so, I ended up crashing with a guy I went to high school with, uh, couch surfed with him for about two months. But I did hit the ground running. I immediately got a job at a McDonald's. And uh, I kept hitting up the unemployment office every day after work and before work, depending on what shift I was on, dropping application after application after application. I finally got a bite on uh, a couple of jobs. And uh, one of them happened to be for the place I work now, but the hiring process was about six weeks long. Hmm. And you had to schedule uh, the interview, and then you had to schedule the physical, and then you had to schedule the drug test, and you had to wait for the drug test and the background check, and everything else to get cleared before you could go. And it was usually one to two week waiting period in in between each one. So this whole time, I'm grinding out doing side jobs fixing, cutting people's grass, fixing people's sinks and porches, sending every amount of cash I could home except for what I needed to buy food for myself. Yeah. And, uh, it was about a eight to 10 week process, but finally got the job and it was seven days a week, 12 hours a day. After three months you had insurance.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think it was, it was like 12 bucks an hour, but it's seven days, tw- you know, 12 hours a day, that's a pretty decent paycheck. So I did that for about two weeks, and, and in two weeks, I had made enough to where I could fly back and pack all my family into a truck with a trailer and a hitch hauler and everything piled, everything that we all piled on top. Hmm. drive out here. So I did that. It was a 21-hour drive. I do remember sleeping entirely through Louisiana, and I was the only one that drove. (laughs) Got out here. My mom got to see grandkids that she had never seen. So she invited us to stay. We stayed with her for about three weeks, and through that three weeks of me just working my tail off, Uh, had enough money to get a place of our own. And that's actually where I'm at now. Hmm. But it was that one risk, that one screw it. I'm just going to jump and I'll figure out how to fly on the way down. That actually gave me the stability that we have now. You know, I've been at the same job for five years. I've been able to start my own company. And it was all because of that one risk. Of so, screw it, I'll jump and I'll either fall flat on my face. And if I do fall flat on my face, I'm making sure I leave a very big impression. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> you know, I just had to take a risk, man. It is kind of the attitude I had with starting Rugged Legacy. Screw it, I'll either make it or I won't.
1: Yeah, so. I've worked a lot of hours, most of my life, sometimes a lot, a lot of hours and it can take a toll, especially, you know, I've never, I've never left my family since, um, I started it for more than, you know, a day or two, but there have been periods of months or, you know, even years where I've barely been there cause I've been working. Um, And it tugs at your heart and it it makes you feel bad a lot because you go home and the only time you see your kids is when they're sleeping. The only time you see your wife is when, um, you know, she's a little bit pissed at you because you haven't been around for the last two weeks. And then on Sunday you slept all day because you were exhausted. Um, So I wonder, knowing what I know about how draining it can actually be to have your family there when you're trying to work like that, do you feel like maybe not having your family there allowed you to have some clarity? Like, I'm sure you missed them and it and it, and you're probably very stressed out over considering, um, you know, like if I don't make this work, I'm going to lose my marriage. I'm going to lose everything I have, you know, like I flew out here and I'm alone and I'm, and I'm hanging out with an old buddy and I'm too prideful to hang with my family and my core family is on the line. do do you feel like it was an advantage to you to just have, it's like I'm just hanging out with a buddy, but I'm working here and I'm working there and I got no other obligations and I need to work and send money to my family and save up enough money or find a job and then get them out here. Do you think it was, you think it was good to have that clarity? You think it it was just another obstacle to overcome? Uh, Maybe a little bit of both,
2: Hmm. you know, You've got kids, you know, having a a pregnant wife is stressful in and of itself for her as well as for you. When you don't have enough money to go back to your family, even if you do fail. And you've got your wife dealing with, by the way, nine kids. She was pregnant with our youngest. Now, Our two were grown out of the house, but she still got a house full of kids to herself dealing with being pregnant, you know, and then you knowing that you can't be there to help when you weren't that big of a help to begin with. But knowing that you can't be there and you have zero opportunity to fail, because if you fail, you'll never see them again. They're 1700 miles away. You've got no way to get there. Are you really going to drag your ass back empty handed? only to lose them once you get there. Mm. So I think it was more of a motivation for me because I was going to have a kid that I would probably never get to meet if I didn't make something work. And yeah, it was incredibly straining on my wife and I, I mean, she, we argued on the phone while I was here and she was back out West just because I wasn't making it happen fast enough. Hmm. You know? And it was a situation that I had put ourselves in. So it was, of course, something that, you know, I, I was definitely due all the credit for that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, not having a way of justifying in my own head that failure at that point was okay. was probably the biggest advantage that it, that I had because it was, it truly was a fight or die scenario. Yeah. And all I could do, all I could do was just dig as deep
1: as I could and, you know, make shit happen. Yeah. Yeah, man. Family, family, something, you know, I'm getting to the point with my oldest daughter. She's coming up on her ninth birthday. And. Oh, well, wish her a happy birthday for me. Oh yeah. Thanks. You know, she's been, a person for a while now, not a, not a baby, not a toddler where they're starting to develop, but you know, a real person with interests and inclinations. And, and it's obvious a lot of the things that she's going to be or not be or whatever. And, um, it's interesting as a parent because you, you have this kid and the second that you see them, you have that response and you love them and the impact of it and everything. It just hits you so hard and then they develop. And all the things that you think about parenting, maybe a third of them, are are accurate or less or more but probably probably you know like not that many of the things you think about parenting are going to be very close to true once you start it and these people they be like you have these dreams and you're like man i'm going to be i'm going to be i'm going to do my best to be a parent and things are going to go this way you know i'm going to do this and this and then the kid's going to do this and this and then that's what they're going to do and then sometimes it works out great because it fits within what they already want to do. And then sometimes, you know, you have to work through stuff. And then sometimes it's totally out of the question. They're never going to be the person that you had in your imagination. Um, and there's like, there's two things that happen with that. One of them is that the love that you have for your child deepens because you learn how to love who they are and who they really are, as opposed to who you imagine they would be before they became an actual person especially when you have your first kid or, you know, if you have them in a row, your first kid or two, where they're still both very young. And now I have this daughter and, you know, I have three daughters and the differences (laughs) and the similarities and stuff. It's just a trip. So you got nine kids, eight sons. Yeah. One girl and
2: she is truly enough
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> my dad uh, She's, she's my dad literally coming up.
0: over here for attention right
2: now she's literally walking over here for attention right now doing superman poses <laughs> she's six yeah. i'm really glad i have eight sons and not eight daughters mm. yeah, well, <laughs> i don't know how my, you do it with more than one girl <laughs> man i don't know
1: my dad tells me i'm swimming through the estrogen haze i have my wife and my three daughters, and my <laughs> dog, and my two female cats, and my five female chickens. It's just. Uh... <laughs> I, I I like to tell people it just takes that you many. Are truly, a my... man on an island. Yeah, there you go. It just takes that many women to meet up <laughs> with my masculinity. <laughs> oh, you got so much! You got so much testosterone. And you
2: need to surround yourself with that many women to dilute it. I get it. It's just oozing out of me.
1: (laughs) 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 So, (laughs) so what are the, what are some of the challenges, you know, family is something that's very important to me. And when I talk with people who um, get into the family thing, I like to talk about it because um, it's my greatest gift. I have and most everything that I do is to support my ability to, to be effective in that family role in that father role and that husband role. So what are some of the, what are some of the challenges you faced as a husband, as a father? And, and, you know, hopefully we can lead the challenges into the things that you appreciate and value and, and why it's all worth it to you. Uh, Man, the biggest challenge is knowing
2: that your children are going to do one of two things they're going to either become you in a fashion <laughs> yeah. or they're going to become the exact opposite of you. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to make sure that, you know, your children, you know, there's no such thing as do what I say, not what I do because your children are going to do what you do. And, you know, you have to make sure that you're leading a good example. And I was not always doing that, Hmm. you know? I mean, I failed probably more times than I can count, you know, and I'm still making up for that. You know, I'm still trying to say, look, this is, the lesson is even if you fail, you don't stop trying to improve after that failure, you know? Just because, yeah, I went downhill over here doesn't mean I stayed downhill. And, you know, I let my family down. I I almost cost them everything. But I didn't stop digging. And I'm showing them now that that's what a dad and a husband supposed to do. If he falls in one area, he doesn't stop digging and just, keeps going until he makes his way out through the other side. If you fall into the pit, start digging a tunnel, work your way out. You know, a lot of people, once they hit rock bottom, they just stay there. Yeah. But, you know, you can't stop clawing away from a failure because once you do, that's when you truly fail.
1: Yeah. I mean, failures, failures measured in the amount of times that you gave up.
2: Exactly. You know, and I didn't really have an opportunity to give up if I wanted my family to be around, you know, if I wanted my kids to know who I was, I didn't have a dad. You know, my dad died when I was super young hmm. and I wanted my kids to actually have a dad. So I didn't want to die, but I just, if I, if, they, if my kids were going to have a dad that was alive then they definitely needed one that was worth it.
1: Mm. You know, the parenting situation, like you said, they everything they do is either an imitation of you or in response to you as parents, especially at first. You know, once school starts in earnest, you know, and they they're in there and they're interacting with a whole new set of people and and everything like that then they start to develop their own view of the world and sometimes it doesn't line up with yours and and then that has to be has to be dealt with as they age and and stuff like that and then you just realize at a certain point how you know they're just their own person and I can try to shape them and guide them or whatever but the thing is that they're just going to do whatever the hell they want to do and there's nothing I can do about that <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes so I I just I just feel like it's a trip you know oh yeah man it's it's even hard to articulate
2: it into words exactly what it is but a family man can just get it from another family he knows what that guy's talking about so, it, you know, there's dads out there going to be listening to this and they, they get what we're trying to articulate very poorly.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, but I will say this. It is very nice to have that reason. You know, I've I've gone through a lot of mental turbulence in my life and most of it I brought on myself. And I've done a lot of shitty stuff that, you know, it's when you – you can move you can move beyond it, but you can never, like, it is always a part of you. All the things that you've done, they are a part of you. And the more honest you are, it's, it's funny, the better your memory becomes. <laughs> but when, you, when you're ready to confront the things that you've done wrong and admit to them, it, you know, you can also just, like, it's there, and you can think about it and bring it up. But you can also just, like, yep, I did that, and then I did these things. And like you talked about, you know, I'm still making up for that you said that and i say that too and people sometimes people say no you know you need to let that go it's like no you need to understand that your actions are yours you shouldn't let it go it's not like you should carry around the burden of guilt you carry around the weight of responsibility and you make yourself a strong enough man to carry it that's what it is and then what you find is that as you get stronger because you have that weight of responsibility you're then able to assume the yoke of other people's responsibilities because you're the man of the family and you're going to push more than enough for yourself. You're going to push enough for your family. You're going to push enough to carry, you know, you're going to strap the wagon to your back and you're going to push and you're going to haul and you're going to do whatever it takes until you get to the place where everybody is blossoming to the best of your ability. And then you find that your abilities grow. And then you find that your connections grow. Like this guy told me one time and he was kind of a knuckleheaded dude. Um, and he actually ripped me off for about 10 hours of labor I did for him installing carpet, but I haven't forgotten his message. He said, you know, you're a young man, Chance. You're in your 20s, mid-20s, but what you're going to find is that as soon as you hit 30, people are going to start taking you more seriously. You're suddenly going to make a whole bunch more money, and things are going to start happening in your life. And I was like, I I don't see why that would be. Like, what is it? what does 30 have to do with anything? But sure enough, man, you know, I hit 30, um, I'm moving, to making more money than I had before or at least more money than I had in a long time when I was working 90 hours a week and everything. But, and people did start to take me more seriously. And then people started to have more demands of me being responsible. And, you know, I was on that journey. But the whole time, the whole reason that I decided to continue that journey, like I decided for myself and then I found my wife and then we had our first kid. And this journey has been all about like, I I had some shitty things happen in my childhood and I had a very responsible, awesome dad. And I had a mom who was not prepared to be a parent and was not really prepared for this life. You know, she's struggled since day one and she struggles to this day and it's it's a sad story. So I knew I I'm not going to be like that for my kids, you know. I found a good woman and she's smart and she's talented and dedicated and good. And I need to be the same thing. And it has been the, the North star, you know, it's like, I, I have to do what's good for my family. I have to be a good man. I have to smooth some of these sharp edges. I have to let go of some of these bad habits. I have to um, grab bond to some of these great things. So that's, that's what it is for me. And then my kids and my wife, I promise to my wife forever you know, and I meant it and I mean it to this day and I'll do whatever it takes. It might, you know, like relationships, you never know what's going to happen, but I know that I'll do everything within my power to make sure that I keep that promise. And my wife is the kind of person who will do that too. Um, but she's not an idiot. And there have been times in our relationship where I've been a piece of shit. And you know, the threat of losing everything that's important to you is a hell of a motivator. Like you just articulated. And also, my kids, they're everything I ever wanted them to be, and they're nothing like I ever expected them to be. And I also learned that you just love them, no matter what, no matter who they are, no matter what they do. And I've talked to you a little bit behind the scenes, um, and there's something that we brought up that I wanted to talk to you about, and I wonder if we could transition to that right now because this I think this there's a lot of machismo and a lot of, you know, like, alpha nonsense that gets thrown around our corner of Twitter, but when it comes to real life and with living with your heart and with loving the people in your life, um, all that stuff kind of goes out the window and you just realize people are people and you have to, you have to love them. So I wonder if we could break into that and and open that up a bit. Yeah, sure, man.
2: Um, I'm assuming you're uh talking about my son that's
1: right
2: yeah yeah Yeah, i mentioned this uh yesterday on hunter drew's show well yeah i've got a son who's gay and i don't care that he's gay a lot of people do this whole they they try to equate their masculinity or their machismo with uh adhering to a certain sexual orientation. Dude, my son has no problem knuckling up and beating the crap out of anybody that tries to bully him. All right. (laughs) And he's pretty good at it too. hes I I mean, two football players messing with him. He's got no problem taking them both. You know, people try to equate their toughness to a a sexual orientation and it's ridiculous. The only thing i always tell my son is, I don't care if you're gay, but you're going to act like a man. You're going to do the things a man should do. You're, you're, you're going to provide, you're going to protect, and you're going to preside. You're not going to fall into this super effeminate role just because you like dudes. I don't care if you like dudes. You, you'll be a dude who acts like a dude who likes dudes, not being disguised as another dude. <laughs> <laughs> what you're attracted to doesn't have squat to do with your character. Hmm. It doesn't have squat to do with how you treat other people. You know, and I'll say to this day, if you're a homophobe, then you're more insecure about who you are than someone who is openly gay, like my son, who will say, yeah, I like dudes, but, I still dress, walk, talk and act like a dude. You know, <laughs> there was this misconception that every, you know, gay man or gay woman is going to act like their opposite gender. Yeah. You know? And so I think, you know, my son actually thought that's how gay guys were supposed to act until he realized, no, that's just an act. Hmm. You know, the, the super effeminate queen behavior, you know, I was like, dude, nobody acts like that. Not in real <laughs> life. <laughs> like Nobody acts like that in real life, man. And, you know, as he's gotten older, he's, I mean, look, you, you wouldn't know he was gay if you just met him, you know? He doesn't wear his sexual orientation as a symbol of who he is because that's not who he is. You know, if you're gay, you're straight, you're bi or whatever, that's not who you are. That's a very small facet of your identity. Sure. You know, you, you think pe- people say, well, I'm the first gay guy to you know, go to the moon. It doesn't matter what you put in your mouth as long as it's not mess. Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. Yeah, yeah, that's-, that's
2: not, a, that's not important. You know, that, I mean, I'm not saying, well, I like women. So that made me this, that, that has nothing to do with who I am.
1: Yeah. Can you imagine one small step for heterosexuals? <laughs> one giant that <laughs> mankind. <laughs> right. Yeah. Who cares? You know,
2: I don't judge people off of their sexual orientation. I judge them off the merit of their character and whether or not they, you know, use their turn signals.
1: Yeah, you know, I have a gay uncle and he's very much in the same situation. My my family's hard. They're not like everyone's got an overbearing personality. Everybody's intense. Everybody's physically strong because my grandpa was a farmer and they had to work in the orchards as kids and they were never allowed to not work. And you know, they grew up in the fifties and sixties and seventies in Utah and which was really it was like it was it was all farmers and back back in the day farmers That's fought. You know, Uh, so So my i have a gay uncle and you would never know he has a beard he wears t-shirts and jeans um but he's just into dudes and you know he was never there was never a chance he was going he was going to be walking around like this because (laughs) he he would have got his ass beaten every day that he did that um because you know very religious farm boys in Utah back in the day did not put up with that shit. (laughs) Yeah. But dude, I live in the South. Yeah, man. Yeah, Yeah. I get it.
2: And to top it all off, my wife is Hispanic. So you Mm. can imagine the kind of ignorant crap that we've had to deal with.
1: Oh yeah. So my, my view on it has always been this, like, you know, I came up as a kid and you, you think whatever you think about it, but, as an adult, I look at it like this. Evolutionarily, like if I if I look at a gay person, it's like, well, you're you're very less likely to have kids. It's like you might adopt kids or you might decide to have kids and make it work, but you're probably not going to. So from an evolutionary standpoint, it's like, well, this is kind of a this is kind of a dead end right here. But if you're only looking at people through an evolutionary lens, you're kind of like You've, you've lost touch with humanity because what's important to me what's always been important to me is who are you? Who are you when I meet you and I shake your hand and I look you in the eyes and we talk to each other, are you keeping your word? Are you being honest? Are you doing good things in the world? I don't, I don't care who's in your bedroom. I really don't, you know, like who you decide to have sex with is really none of my business. And, and like you said too there, are, there are, there are straight people out there who wear their sexuality on their sleeve. And usually those people are not taking very seriously in the real world. Like you might have a pickup artist on the internet who people flock to because they want to, they're uncomfortable, you know, or they're like they're not very good with the opposite sex and they want to learn how to do it. And so it's like, Oh, this guy's a pimp and he's, you know, but, but if you met a guy like that, who's just like, you know, the only thing I want to talk about is how to get ladies in day game. And I'm going to, by the way, I'm, I'm so macho and masculine. You you never take that person seriously. And it's the same way. (laughs) It's the same way with gay people on a certain, on a certain er, level. I understand it's like you were forced to be in the shadows for so long because of the way that society viewed you that like now that it's out in the open, it's like, Hey, finally. And it it must be a confusing situation, but at the same time, it's like, okay. um, But like, what, what you're saying or what you've been saying for a long time is you want to be on an equal level as heterosexual people. You can't say that and then in the same breath have everything be about gay. Have everything be about like I'm gay and here's my gay and like and here I am, you know, the, the flamboyance. And I don't even I don't even care. Like I have a I have a friend named Tom and he's an English guy and he, and he literally says this. I'm a perfect little princess. <laughs> and he's my friend, and everything. Like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not casting harsh judgment. But my point is, like, at a certain point, there's going to have to be a situation where, um, if you want to be treated the same, the same is that nobody, nobody gives a shit who you're having sex with, unless they want to have sex with the person you're having sex with, and then you have a problem. But otherwise, it doesn't I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine if all introductions were made that way?
2: Yeah, so I'm they- straight. <laughs> Yeah, who are you? Well, I'm Jeff. I'm straight, and you know, I weigh one sixty-five. (laughs) I size size ten shoe. I mean, none of crap matters. (laughs) Who are you? I like Netflix. That's
1: not who you are. (laughs) I'm subscribed.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no, no one gives a crap, man. (laughs) You know. People make a big deal. Well, well, she's the first lesbian to ever do this. I don't give a crap. I think it's just cool that she did it. I don't care if she liked animals. I mean, that's okay in Alabama. So, you know, I don't care what she's into. It's cool that she climbed that mountain in record time. What she decides to do in her private time isn't an important part of her identity. You
1: know? Yeah, yeah man, you know, there's a weird, there's a weird tendency in this world right now to to list off the attributes that you feel like are in the minority. So, you know, imagine a world where you just like, hi, I'm Chance. I'm straight. He, him, are my preferred pronouns. Um, my citizen number is A 96 zero nine six dash B two seven. I live in government housing number B629. My hair color is naturally um, rat blonde. I, my, by the way, my eye color is hazel and it changes with what I wear. Um, is, have I lifted off enough features that we can now begin to speak sentences to each other? Like It's a, it's a weird thing. Like why, why, When I was a kid, I met somebody and was like, What's up, man? What's your name? Kevin. Cool, I'm Chance. Let's play basketball. And and now yeah. everybody tell you everybody wants to tell you all their politically or socially relevant features, um, and then there's people like me or like you or like some of these people who maybe we grew up in the west or we grew up in the south or the midwest, but not big city folk. And we and it's not like I'm it's not like I'm from the backwoods or a hillbilly or anything. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I got plenty of backwoods hillbilly friends. I like people like that because they're down to earth. But the point is. I look out at all this silliness, all these yeah. rules are trying to be brought out, all this offense that's being taken. And it's so, it's just like, why would you waste your time doing that? I have so many things that I want to do in this life. I i know I'm not going to have time to get near it. And it, like, I have so many dreams. I will never be able to do more than 1% of them. And and that's ambitious. That's way ambitious. So why do you have all the time to... um. Like, why aren't you chasing dreams? I I said this the other day. What if you live your life having never fought for something with the same energy that you fought against something? Right. It'd be a tragedy. Yeah, I
2: mean, yeah, it's it's a wasted life. People spend way too much time trying to find something to be victimized by. You know, and use that as a crutch or as an excuse to not just go live the way they want to live. You know, I, I can't imagine coming up, you know, and saying, Hi, uh, you're chance, right? Yeah, I'm chance. Well, I have my own political opinion and I would like to express that to you first before we even become engaged in a conversation. I don't care who you voted for. You know, I don't care what you put, you know, down on your census as far as what you identify. I don't care. You know, I'm not, you know, really you're not important enough to oppress on an individual level. (laughs) So, (laughs) I mean, I've got bigger fish to fry than making you feel victimized. So you, you can drop all of that and you can just say, look, instead of trying to be a victim of everything, I'm going to go be a champion of something. You know, I don't care if it's, I don't care if it's ping pong, you know, but go be a that's, champion. The of something. Chinese got that on lock. Good luck. Yeah. I mean, that's racist, but
1: no, it's true. <laughs> Chinese still get a ping pong. I mean, I, not, not the Chinese, but you know, <laughs> Americans are not coming for the Chinese champ or the, the, ping pong championship anytime soon. That's for sure. I mean,
2: it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> but,
1: Besides. Yeah. But yeah, you see, I mean,
2: every, everyone takes it so seriously, you know, these minuscule details that don't matter. They really don't matter hmm. in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, it's, I said it yesterday people are too busy leading unfulfilled lives because they're too busy hiding who they truly are. Yeah. And a lot of people are putting on a mask of something they deem accept you know, acceptable by society just for that sake of fitting in. But when they go home and they get to take it taken off, they feel just empty, you know, screw all that. Just be who you are, but also know that who you are isn't anything to do with what you like on any level. You know, if you like steak, that's not who you are. If you, you like Netflix, that's not who you are. You, you like, you know, your same gender, you know, sexually, that's not who you are. That's a very small detail of who you are. You know, but, you know the identity of who you are is more than a preference of yours. Hmm. And that's why I try to explain, you know, to my son, it's what I try to explain to everyone who, you know, feels like listening. (laughs) And it's, it's ridiculous. The, the amount of time we spend trying to portray our preferences as our identities though. Hmm.
1: Yeah, you know I like that because I was raised to believe that what makes a person is what they do. It's not it's not, you know, how they dress, it's not how much money they have, it's not what color their skin is, it's not what religion they are, it's not who they have sex with. It's just what they do. Do they, you know, do they keep their word? Do they cause problems or do they solve problems? Do they demand things that are not right or do they contribute to the do they take care of themselves and do they contribute to their community you know there's there's more important metrics even if like let's say that somebody has a problem with um, gay people or let's say someone has a problem with republicans or democrats let's say somebody has a problem um, with vegetarians or carnivores okay you don't like carnivores you don't like gay people um is that are you going to not look past one detail is, is one detail so important about a person, especially when it's not relevant to your life that you're not going to be able to see past that into the heart of the person that you're not going to be able to look like if a person has a hundred features that you know about and you don't like three of them, but 97 of them are just fine. or you quite like that? What's more important? The three things that you don't agree with or the 97 that you're cool with. And so, like, unless it's like you're diddling kids or you're stabbing people in dark alleys in the night, or you're stealing people's right. money. I mean, there are obviously going to be
2: exceptions to that. Right.
1: But if you're crossing that line where it's I have my life, you have your life, and we don't hurt each other, what's your problem? Like, what's it to you? As long as you're yeah. like hurting people, and as long as you're not being a thief or a liar, then. I I can't see why there's a reason that I should hate you. I just don't get it. Yeah, I,
2: I I've never gotten it either, man. I mean, I, I growing up in the South, I did deal with a whole lot of ignorant crap. Yeah. You know, even for my whole family, having a Hispanic wife, I've had to, you know, shut some shit down. But yeah. it is what it is, and look if that's how you want to live, that's fine, you know, but you're missing out on so much spending all your time hating on someone who has one minute factor of their entire person. You know, like you said, they got three features about them you don't like, but the other 97 you're cool with. So why would you not engage with that person? Why you know, why why? I mean, you know, unless it's something big like you're diddling kids, you know. The small details don't matter in the grand scheme of things. They really yeah, don't. Exactly, exactly right. And I mean, can you imagine know. if I didn't like Hispanic people? And <laughs> I mean, my wife is Hispanic. My kids are mixed. Can yeah. you imagine if I said Well, just because of the color of her skin or the ethnicity uh, 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 of her background, I'm not even going to begin to speak to this woman. Dude, I would have missed out on the greatest relationship of my life. Yes. I would have missed out on these kids that have made my life complete. I would have missed out on so much, so much joy. All because of one tiny factor, it's ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I mean like I said, unless it's unless it's crossing the line and hurting people or going against their will. It's and you know, I said before I don't understand it, but I do understand some features of it. A lot of it is fear and insecurity and, and then you it hurts or it's uncomfortable to have those things within you. And so you look to place them onto other people and project it or like to, to find a reason outside of yourself for your suffering. And I like, I have compassion for people who struggle with things like racism or, or sexism or, or like, you know, these things where most people are not deeply racist. Many people are like, well, if it comes right down to it, if you asked me if I wanted to change my race right now, I would say definitely not because you are who you are and you like, you know, it just is what it is. But, and then there's a lot of people who would say, I don't care. You know, like I'm black right now. Sure. I'll be Chinese. I'm white right now. You know, sure. I'll be uh Latino, whatever. But, but when you struggle with something like that, like th- imagine how sad it would be to look out into the world and have that kind of fear and resentment be coloring your vision all the time. That's one of the things I think about. It's like, I, you know, um, Like racism is sad and it hurts people, but it hurts the people who are racist too. It's like, it's, that's a sad way to live. And then to teach your kids to hate where it carries on for generations. Like you should hate this person because they're different from you in this way. And it's a, you know, it's really come to a head in this world that we live in right now. It's like, everybody's divided. There's all these tribes and the tribes want to fight with each other. And I'm on the left and I'm on the right. And I'm on the, I'm on this side and I'm on that side and you know kind of what we've been talking about everybody's focusing on the one to three things that they disagree with everybody else but then you talk with someone like let's say you're a republican you talk with a democrat turns out you guys want 97% of the same things you might just have a few disagreements about how you get to it let's say that you're a gay person right. and you with a straight person. Well, it turns out you want love. You want um, stability in your life. You want somebody you can count on. You want a partner that's going to be there with you that you can rely on and that has your back and that comforts you when you need it and that you can comfort and you serve each other. It's like, oh, we just have a couple disagreements on, on how you might get to that situation. It's like, the, what's what's really the difference? We all want love. We all want community. We all want people that we have things in common with that we can work together towards building something that's better. And when we forget that, because for whatever reason, and a lot of this is on purpose because then people are easily manipulated, but hey, look at this. Hey, look at this. Hey, look at this problem with these people. Hey, look at this problem with these people. And you know, you get focused in on it and you forget that 99% of the things I have in common with this person. We could be working on all of those and skip the one thing. You know what? I don't want to work with you on this. I don't agree with you, but all these other things I could work with you on and we can agree and move forward.
2: Yeah. But no, people try to take everything as it's got to be all or nothing, Mm -hmm. which is ridiculous because I mean, you and I don't even probably, I don't know, agree on every possible subject there is to agree on. But God, How boring would that be if everybody agreed on everything? I would not like it. I mean, there would never be any new ideas. I mean, it'd be be boring. I mean, I I wouldn't know what to do if every idea I had, someone just goes, yes, that's good. I feel the same. Let's go. I mean, come on.
0: I mean, people's
2: differences are there to complement, not combat each other.
1: I do think... I do think that is a thing though that some people look towards as the answer if you dis if you feel disenfranchised or you feel like um, you're not given the same opportunities as other people, then hey, maybe conformity and and uh maybe even level everything maybe communism seems appealing to you because. Better to have everybody have the same thing than to have some people have tragedy and some people have glory.
2: Yeah, but the only problem with that is human nature is always going to take over. There is, a, there is a meritocracy to human nature where the ones who do more are going to have more. And it's not always fair and it never will be. Yeah. And, and it shouldn't be. If you sit over
0: here all day.
2: I think we lost each other there. You're back. Yeah. But no, I was saying, you know, there's a meritocracy to human. nature. Those who do more are going to have. More. And if you sit over there doing heroin all day, while I'm trying to go and work and make something for my family, yeah, I'm probably going to have
1: more than you. And you should. You know, that's the thing. I tell people align yourself with reality and you can take that as deep or as shallow as you want, but the reality is the universe is a meritocracy. It's it's not survival of everything. It's survival of the fittest. I want to say that again. It's not survival of everything. The survival of the fittest. If you can't cut it based upon the rules of reality, you are no longer part of reality. That's just, yeah. you can't, you I can't,
2: imagine if you had survived at this point. Can you imagine <laughs> having to secure your home against a T-Rex? <laughs> you know, there's a reason why, certain things, there's a reason why certain things died out. And there's a reason why certain species died out because they just couldn't cut it. And, <laughs> There's going to be people that fall off and slide back. And the only way that we're going to continue as a successful species is the weak are going to go. And it's not even going to be something we can prevent or that we're actually pushing for. It's just the natural state of things. It'll happen. You're going to have people born that are more susceptible to diseases. You're going to have people that are born, you know, that are more susceptible to you know, uh, natural disasters just because of the area they live in. You know, it's just going to happen. It's not always going to be fair for everyone. I'm not smart enough to be an astronaut and that's okay. (laughs) You know, my, my son, you know, he is dominating in track, but as much as he loves football, he's not built like a linebacker. and He never will be without an extreme amount of, you know, Stem cell research. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, life's not fair and it's never going to be, and it shouldn't be because it would be boring as hell.
1: Yeah. You know, my dream world is the world where everybody has the opportunity to live a life where they have enough opportunity that they can choose the life they want to live as long as they're willing to do the work and they choose it. And we're fortunate that we live in a place where that's possible. Um, You know, like I believe in the power of choice and decision. And one of the primary choices you have to make is how you feel about your life. It's because there are some things that are out of your control. Like if you're born in a, in a village, say in, in Nairobi and um, like your choices, your, your potential choices are collapsed significantly, but, You know, like you're a person and you have people around you and you have some things you can do and you can have this job or you can do this thing, but it's not the same as living um, in a middle class family in the United States. It's just not even close to the same set of choices or circumstances. But like that person in Nairobi or the person living in like Albuquerque, they both have to choose how they feel about their lives. They both have to. Um, live in a way that brings them satisfaction they both have to have relationships that add meaning to their lives and the support as they move through their lives but if i if like my dream you know my my dream world is not one where everybody has everything it's where everybody has enough that they can choose to have anything and i think you know to me that's the american dream and that's something that a lot of people have let go of especially in the last, say, 20 years because they already had everything given to them from birth and felt entitled to even more. It's a weird thing. Even those who have everything feel like they deserve more. Um, Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm I'm kind of tend to believe that everyone has
2: the exact same opportunities. However, the amount of work required to achieve those opportunities is different for everybody.
0: Hmm.
2: You know, anyone can do within, of course, the limits of physical limitation and geographical limitations. Your opportunities were pretty much the same opportunities as mine. You know, the amount of work it would take you to get there may be less than the amount of work it would take me to get there. Opportunities are the same. Level of difficulty isn't. And that's okay. You know, the world needs, the world needs a hierarchy. There's all, I mean, if everybody's on top, then no, there's no one actually keeping the infrastructure running. You know, if everybody was a millionaire, then nobody would work for those millionaires. (laughs) And I mean, it's just, it just is what it is. There's always going to be a ladder of, of hierarchy that, should exist. That's why communism can't work. That's why socialism can't work. Because if everybody's the same, there's always going to be one person who's going to go, yeah, but I'm doing more. And so, I mean, corruption and human nature take over
1: because there's, go- there
2: has to be a meritocracy. There has to be a hierarchy of, look, I'm, I'm doing more than you. So I'm going to get more than you. Yeah. That's- and it's just always going to be one. <laughs> Yeah, I
1: don't like. You shouldn't. You shouldn't punish effort and ambition because you ne- <laughs> you never get ahead if you do. And that's the funny thing is like you you can't like yeah. it's just like you said. People people see more; they want more, and even if they don't see more, they imagine more. That's how, that's why we have inventions that are new. That's why we have new ideas. That's why we have refinements of old ideas because people in their mind's eye see something better than what they have now. And then they try to make it happen if they have that in them. You know, some people, some people don't for whatever reason, you know, I mean, that's what I do. Yeah, exactly. I I saw a future that I wanted. So I started and
2: I will plug it rugged legacy. (laughs) (laughs) you know, I saw a future that I wanted. And so I'm trying to make it happen. If it does happen for me and I end up, you know, supplying every major retailer in the country or the world, then awesome. I made it happen. I'm going to have more than some guy who sat in his mom's basement playing world of Warcraft. Yeah. It just is what it is.
1: So look, man, we've been going almost an hour and a half right now and we've covered everything from, you know, your business to, um, transition periods to fighting for your life, to family, to, I mean, we've kind of run the gamut on this and you've been talking to me this whole time and it's been Jeff and chance having a good conversation, but people listen to this and they usually listen to this because they're coming here for, you know, to learn and to, to pick up on something that will help them grow. So, you know, whoever it is that you imagine is listening to this mind's eye. Imagine that you're sitting across from them and you're talking to them and you're looking them in the eyes and you're going to tell them the one thing that you feel they need to know to make something of themselves in their life. What would you tell that person?
2: I'd say, look, man, all your excuses are bullshit. I don't care if you've got, One leg, be the best one-legged sumbitch out there. If you've got no arms, you know, be the best no-arm sumbitch out there. I don't care. None of your excuses are valid. It's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. Just shut up and start pounding pavement because every excuse you tell yourself is a lie. It's bullshit. Stop telling yourself excuses and stop trying to convince yourself of reasons why you can't and start showing everybody else why the hell you can.
1: Nice. I like that. That's, that's a message I can resonate with. And I think that's a great place to leave this because everything we talked about kind of really led up to that, didn't it? Just no matter what your perceived problem is, get out there and just make something of it. It is what it is. The things you can't change, you can't change. Go change the ones that you can make your life better. Very good, man. So. Logos and this, is, uh, this has been Chance Lunchford and Jeff Putnam, Rugged Legacy. Why don't you tell them where they can find you on the social media and your website and all that good jazz, and we'll put that in the show notes too, my brother. Oh, you can find me at your mom's. I'm kidding.
2: <laughs> <laughs> nah, uh, you guys can find me on Twitter uh, at Rugged underscore Legacy, on Instagram at Rugged Legacy Grooming, or at www Dot ruggedlegacygrooming.com
1: Very good. Um, Jeff, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on here and um, you know share some of your wisdom and share some of your story and to open up your heart and, uh, and eye onto your family to, to help people maybe gain a better understanding of what really matters in this life. And uh, so thank you very much for spending the time on the Logo Centrifugal podcast, man.
2: Yeah, I appreciate
1: you inviting me, man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, down the road in the year, if you got some new products launching and stuff and you want to come back on here and have another chat, I'd be happy to do that. Cool, man. All right, dude. I'm, uh, I'm going to press the button here in a second. Logo centrifugal chance Lunsford, Jeff Putnam out.